Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sisters and brothers in Christ, what does it mean to be human? We call ourselves human beings. But what exactly is human in our being? We know that the hallmark of human beings cannot just be narrowed down to reason alone, as it was fashionable in the Enlightenment period. There is much more. We are able to love and to listen, to dream and to dance, to move and to manage, to discuss and to discern, to learn and to love. So human life is shaped by a fascinating combination of bodily, emotional, mental and social capacities. At the same time, we human beings have limitations and we are vulnerable. Sometimes we are sad about it or we are worried or angry. We try to understand what we need in order to be well in the midst of challenges. Especially our limitations show us we are not machines and we are not God. We struggle with our failures as we find ourselves entangled in the struggle between good and evil. Now, the question of what it means to be human shows itself quite acutely in this struggle between good and evil, as we have heard it today in the passage from Romans 7. Now, before we enter in the theological debate about what it means to be human, I would like to look at our own experiences. Which are the moments in your life where you sense most acutely that you are human and what it means to be human? Is it when you share a meal with others and share stories around a table? Or is it when you have, with some creativity and courage, achieved a goal that you pursued? Or do you feel your own humanity most when there is uncertainty and need? Looking at my own life, I would say there are basically two types of experiences that particularly activate in me this sense of being human. These are the moments on the one hand when new possibilities are opening up and on the other hand, the moments when my life seems to be shrinking, shrinking in possibilities. Now, finding creative solutions, pursuing my goals, that is a sense of opening up of possibilities. But when I'm worried about my future, when there are uncertainties, then it seems like shrinking. And in both instances, I realize that my life is bigger, in a bigger horizon. It is situated in a bigger horizon. So 
So in the opening up of possibilities, energy flows, and I'm thankful to God. I sing and I praise God. And in the shrinking of possibilities, I come to God with my concerns and beg God to take care. So in this relationship, in the living relationship with God, I realize that I'm most acutely sensing my human nature. And it's these existential experiences that I believe are foundational for us. And it's within that foundation that Paul also talks about opening and shrinking. Now, Paul uses quite strong images. In chapter 6 of the letter to the Romans, Paul articulates a dramatic transformation from being a slave to sin to then, in chapter 8, being a child of God. And chapter 7, which we read today, is situated right in the middle of that, in the middle of that experience between being enslaved in sin or enjoying the freedom of the child of God. As a child of God, I shine and radiate, and I experience integrity and wholeness. And it's actually from that experience of integrity and wholeness that Paul looks back at some of the inner conflicts that he describes. Now, he enters into the discussion about good and evil, about doing good and doing evil. And Paul, in the very first chapters of Romans, acknowledges that morality is not just a domain of the Christians. Morality is a domain that pertains to all human beings. However, it is not just about knowing moral norms, but actually to have the capacity to live accordingly. This is the crux of the matter. Religious and philosophical traditions across the centuries have engaged with this question. Among the Greek philosophers, there was an interesting debate as to what it needs that a human being can do good. Socrates was convinced that people who develop their knowledge of what is good will have a mindset and a mental framework focused on the good and, in consequence, they will do good. Plato, however, argued that the passions and emotions of a person are stronger than the mind and people will still do evil even though they exactly know what is good. And until today, scholars debate uh, about this question. What actually are human beings able to do? Are they truly free to do good? Not only philosophers, but also writers and poets have contributed to the reflection. The battle between good and evil is a classic theme in the great epics, in stories and tales around the world. And I think it would be actually a very rich collection if we shared from our own contexts these stories and tales that narrate the battle between evil and good and the drama that unfolds in that. And some of these great epics also traveled around the world. One example which I find fascinating is the Mahabharata epic, which is enacted in Wayang Puppet Theater in Java, Indonesia. 
And the Wayang performances tell this ancient story by including a sharp sociopolitical analysis of the contemporary situation in the society. It's fascinating to watch that. Looking at such a drama as a spectator is interesting and thought-provoking. To see the tactics and strategies of the main actors unfolding in when they pursue their intentions and interests. But when we look at the drama of good and evil in our own lives, we lose that safe distance of a spectator. We find ourselves entangled, held captive, and disturbed. And the drama is actually more difficult than just good and bad. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do, says Paul. Now, Paul articulates this not just as a personal experience. It is the human condition in general. This profound inner conflict is characteristic for who we are as humans. And Paul does not offer a calm, philosophical solution for this absurd situation. He simply bursts out in a cry, wretched man that I am. Now, why is this situation so desperate? The passage portrays a human being who finds delight in the law of God, in the inmost self. So this person knows the law of God and has an intimate, positive relationship to it. The person loves the way of life, which this law envisions and affirms this as life-giving. Paul does not dismiss the Torah. Paul earlier describes it as holy, just, and good. So the Torah embodies for him an opening up of possibilities. But even though that the inmost self is oriented towards it, the reality of sin is stronger. Human beings are held captive to the law of sin. So sin is an existential category, not just a moral category. The despair in the cry, wretched man that I am, is not about a moral failure with regard to this or that action, but about an existential failure. This, for Paul, is the deplorable human condition. So, chapter 7 in Romans is Paul's answer to the question what it means to be human. It's a harsh diagnosis. Human beings are to fail even if they have solid moral norms to orient their lives. Sin shrinks the human scope of action to do good. The problem cannot be solved, neither by ethical nor by philosophical reflection. The problem leads to a desperate cry and to the clear question, who will rescue me from this body of death? So the question is not what or which norm, but who? It is no other than God's self, and we need to move on to chapter 8 to understand Paul's argument. Here, he immediately talks about the incarnation. The incarnation in Jesus, in the flesh, this is the basis for our wholeness and integrity. 
We look to Jesus to understand what it means to be human. Then we look at our own body, our own possibilities, and our own limitations from Jesus' perspective. So Jesus is our hermeneutical key. Maybe I'm a bit too intellectual when I say Jesus is the hermeneutical key. Um, in my life, others might say Jesus is the savior in my life. But it's eventually the same thing because this hermeneutical key helps me to understand my life and my actions. And that is a blessing. That is the experience of wholeness and integrity when I am able to understand my life and my actions. The English mystic Julian of Norwich said, it is true that sin is cause of all this suffering, but all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. These words were said very tenderly, indicating no kind of blame. Sisters and brothers, in faith we know this is the truth about human life. Trust this sure promise. Your life enjoys existential openness to the broader horizon. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. <laughs>